Good afternoon, everyone. This is uh, an Ipsy podcast by me, Marilyn April. I'm a partner at CM Murray, and I'm joined today for this conversation by Jenny Afir, Head of Legal at Shillings, uh, by Danny Kaufer, Leading Canadian and International Employment Lawyer, and by my colleague, Louise O'Connor, CM Murray. And about a month ago now, we met at the IFSI conference, uh, and we in particular were discussing intergenerational and cultural issues in the workplace and how the presence of cancel culture in social media has worked its way into the workplace. Jenny, you kicked off, I think, at the time with um, a definition of cancel culture, which was really helpful. So shall we start there? What is it and why is it relevant in the workplace? The way that I understand cancel culture, what I understand by the term cancel culture, is not just a clash of opinions online. It's not um, it's not online abuse, which is an offence, but is a separate beast. Cancel culture, to me, refers to a concerted, deliberate attempt to ruin someone's livelihood because of their opinions. Yeah, and I think we have seen that kind of behaviour in the workplace uh, where colleagues cancel someone, probably because they've said something that they consider to be inappropriate or offensive, um, and therefore they expect their employer then to take some action, maybe discipline that person, sack them, and it just creates massive tension in the workplace, uptick in grievances, investigations, litigation. So Louise and and Danny... um, Louise, coming to you first, I think you you did some research into these kind of areas and also sort of more wider intergenerational issues that crop up in the workplace more and more. Uh, And in particular, on your LinkedIn poll, you had uh, about 50% of responses saying that it was culture issues that is the biggest source of conflict between the generations in the workplace. Um, what, What kind of changes are you seeing and how do execs react to that? Yeah, thanks, Mel. I think um, I think that's right. As you say, this this LinkedIn poll um, did point out cultural sort of issues as the the biggest cause of intergenerational conflict. I think obviously every generation shifts and, and evolves a bit. Uh, I think we all agree that there's been a pretty rapid uh, shift um, as a result of COVID and things like that, and it's it's sort of changed. Um, a lot of expectations, I think, um, amongst employees now. We've, we've seen that happen at a, a massive pace. And um, I think what we're seeing is particularly, if I can use the term younger generations, I think their expectations and what they want has, has really shifted. And um, we're at an age where people are being you know, asked to bring their whole self to work, for example. And I think when people are being asked to do that and they're willing to do that. They sort of expect to be met with certain things. So they expect, I think they have a reasonably high standard of um, what they want from their, their workplace in terms of well-being, in terms of succession. Um, I think we're seeing a real shift in the, the current generation. They may not have the, they may not see the same succession plan as previous generations. They don't necessarily subscribe to that traditional um, view particularly in say professional services firms of working their way up the ladder to become partners so they want to know what is available for them um, what's an employer going to, to offer to keep 
sort of to, to engage them in the workplace. Um, so I think I think they're I think as I said, Gen Z get called out quite a bit for having a sense of entitlement. I don't necessarily think that this generation wants it all, but I do think they want some uh, pretty different things from previous generations. And it's just about how working out, I suppose, how employers can, can best balance um, all these competing demands. Yeah, and I think, Danny, you were saying it's not just individuals either. There's this sort of movement to, to marshal together that, that the unions have picked up on and have uh, harnessed the power of tech as well, where there is this kind of sense of something not not going right and people need to express their views. What What, what are your thoughts on these areas? Well, I think that, you know, when I look back at the last five to 10 years of practice, and I see what has been going on, and I see the trade unions spent a lot of time hiring students out of universities with great technical skills, or a lot of them have, uh, you know, been with uh, or come out of great universities like MIT, for example, I never understood it until the last let's say year or two, number one, the pandemic has forced trade unions to consider how they go about dealing with their, you know, their, their potential membership per se. And number two, I think that they too have gone through a learning curve. And so the example that I always use is in, in the Starbucks situation, the TikTok army that has gone after them, you know, I made light of the fact that I don't even know where to find TikTok, let alone how to use it. I can promise you that I'm in the minority when it comes to that kind of situation. And so you see in traditional organizing, the use of tech technology, which has never been there before, and which has now forced people like me and others on the management side to look towards technical experts, and look towards people who are experts in that area. And so the other issue that I see is quite simply the following. Uh, if you look at the entire area of ESG, uh, I honestly believe these are areas where technology is gonna have a large, play to a large role to play because what ends up happening in my view is that ESG will ultimately, in my view, fill in areas where legislation no longer is going to be there or is too slow to react. And therefore, I think that what we end up with is the duality. We have trade unions being respectful of the new technology and the Z generation's knowledge of that area, and also now looking at how they can get into companies through issues which they never thought of before because technology through ESG has given them that ability. Yeah, thank you. And I, I do think that ESG, climate change, all sorts of diversity issues are, are fertile grounds uh, for, for promoting a crisis. And I wanted actually to, to come back to, to you, Jenny, and sort of thinking about crisis and reputational uh, management, because I know you had a, some great ideas about preparation and, and having a plan and not being fearful. So could you sort of talk a bit about that? 
Yes, um, I, I think I said if there's one thing to do in advance of a crisis, it was to do some stakeholder mapping. So really be very clear who would matter in a crisis um, because council culture, if, if the mob are coming at you, they may not be the people who actually matter. So lots of my clients are high profile individuals then the general public may have an impact on their careers. Um, but it might be that it's most important to make sure that uh, companies who sponsor them stay on side. For a business, it might be, my father always taught me to keep the bank manager on side. It's whoever is important, yeah. um, know that in advance and keep them up to speed or keep, bring them into the tent with you and when we do stakeholder mapping we um we do it in advance ideally and we put three categories of is someone neutral an ally or opposition and what you want to do is have everyone either be in the neutral camp or ideally an ally and you don't want anyone moving across to the opposition so again thinking of high profile individuals one of the things we would do is map out who are the other high profile individuals in their orbit and are they likely to be approached for comment about the situation and how they respond could play a key role in whether this turns into a existential crisis or whether it's a one day story. So taking quite a broad view of stakeholders doing the mapping in advance, um, I think gives people face these kind of issues a lot more control. I think that's brilliant advice and not something we necessarily would would have thought of so thank you but just just to wrap up um danny what would be your sort of two or three key messages to um employers or senior execs managers running the employers uh, how they how do they protect or promote themselves in this rather sort of febrile and volatile environment i think it's important that traditionally especially when you're counseling, let's say, a client, for example, which is an area which is where I'm comfortable, uh, I have already used a lot of my younger associates and brought them into meetings and or discussions, which traditionally they would not have been part of. And the reason why I do it is because ultimately they understand the messaging a lot better than most people do, because ultimately the message has to go to an audience which is more akin to them than, than is akin to me. In other words, not only age, more importantly, but also other considerations. So the way in which it is said is equally as important as to what is said. The latter I'm comfortable with, the former I'm not as comfortable with, because as the world unfolds, these are issues which are very different from issues that we've seen over the last many years. To bring the right people in that speak the right language. Yeah. Well put, exactly right on. Thank you. Louise, what do you think? Thank you. I think, I think my, my tips would be quite simple. I think it sort of comes back a bit to, to what Jenny has said there um, about sort of not being fearful against the mob, so to speak, but I also think employers and senior executives once they 
I suppose, know what their priorities are, not to be fearful of pushing back where they feel that they need to push back. This isn't, um, it's not necessarily a win or lose sort of thing, but if something is a deal breaker for them, for the company, for the way they're running it and trying to manage it, I think they need to say it. If it's not reasonable to have somebody work from home completely, it's just not reasonable. And I think that that needs to be said without being fearful of being cancelled. I think, as I say, it is it is quite simple. Um, altogether, it is a case of sort of listening to the, the different generations um, in the workplace. And without trying to contradict what I said earlier, whilst people want some different things, I think a lot of the, the core fundamentals are the same. Um, and so possibly they don't need to get too, too caught up um, in the... Um, the generation of differences. There's a lot more that unites us than divides us, as they say. Danny. Yes, I just raised my hand and I, I wanted to comment on what Louise and Jenny had to say is I agree with them 100% and, and, and especially on the point that do not be afraid to bring in people that you would not have otherwise brought in. Because indeed, if you make a mistake here, or you fail to properly deal with an issue, the consequences in today's society are not only legalistic, but are also stigmatic in the sense that, you know, they are going to affect you on a going forward basis in the marketplace, which is very different than the court of law. And so I think those are two considerations and they're very important, different ones that need to be kept in mind. Thank you. One of those people for sure is uh, Jenny and her team because there are these wider reputational issues. Um, Jenny, have you got a, a final word before we uh, sign off? <laughs> I think the theme is don't be too fearful and I would apply that to the media as well that um, there is a responsibility on the media to actually report the facts correctly and if you are being misreported then you need to uh, address that quite quickly. Thank you. And thank you, Danny, Louise. Thank you, Jenny. It, we could talk forever on this topic, but uh, we should go. But thank you very much to everyone for listening. And please do join the IFSI LinkedIn group um, to continue the conversation. We'd love to hear your views. And uh, thank you very much. <laughs>